I like to try to get rid of most of most items that I've, uh, you know, I list within like, I don't know, three days, basically, you know, that's I consider that to be successful. If I sell everything that I list in three days, okay, the prices were right. I did good on that, you know, but that's not always the case. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again. I am excited for the topic we're going to be talking about today. This is something that Lassa and I had discussed very early on when we started this podcast, and we did it as a Patreon exclusive episode. I think it was one of the best Patreon exclusive episodes we ever did. Um, I wanted to bring this subject to like a main episode that everybody could listen to and also kind of uh, update it because it's been years since we started. It's been years since we talked about this before and some of the realities of doing this have changed to some extent. Um, today we are going to be talking about how to sell your reenactment gear, whether it's stuff that you don't use anymore or stuff that... Um, maybe for an impression that you've abandoned or look, maybe you're getting out of the hobby or you're, you need something that's a different size for whatever reason. Um, good news is, is that this stuff is very sellable and we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, I can't think of anybody better to talk about this with than uh, Ben Tracy. Ben, thanks for coming on and talking about that. Uh, you flatter me, Chris. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, for people who don't know, Ben probably knows more about selling reenactment gear than anybody alive. I believe he is the most prolific uh, seller of secondhand reenactment gear. I know that um, surprises a lot of people when they see that he is constantly selling this stuff. And I know that he's been asked before if he is quitting the hobby or whatever, but um, that is not the case. It is actually that Ben offers a service where he will... Um, sell people's used reenactment gear and take uh, a portion of the proceeds for himself. Yeah, I, you know, it's a sort of little side gig that I've been doing for a number of years now. It was sort of a hobby within a hobby at this point, and uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. So, yeah, without further ado, Chris, let's get into the main topic. Okay, so uh, let's imagine that you are a reenactor and you have some gear that you don't need anymore. You upgraded it, whatever it is. Um, I think that my when I have something like that, my first thought is, is there somebody in my unit or somebody in my friend group who might want this thing and who I could offer this thing to for a fair price, maybe even for a reduced price, like a friend price? Um, and a lot of times I can find somebody who wants something that I don't need anymore just with a phone call, you know? I always try to do that. Um, actually, there, there, there have been times in the past where I've actually experienced regret, where I've had something and I've listed it for sale, not realizing that I sort of, there is somebody in my friend group who actually wanted it. And if I had asked them, I, I could have, you know, avoided having to list it to, to begin with, you know? So now I try to basically just ask people before I list things, you know, if I think they might want something. 
But, uh, but yeah, no, I think that's really good, Chris. Also, too, like, your friends will appreciate it. Um, and so, yeah, do them a favor and uh, offer them stuff for sale. <laughs> I think that it's an ethical thing to do that. It is a feel-good thing to do that. And that's one of the great advantages of being in a reenactment group. And I think uh, when you're in a group... It's like a courtesy if you offer any usable items to the group first, um, kind of having first dibs on some of that stuff. Like I say, it's one of the advantages of, of being in a group. I wholeheartedly agree on that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as, as pricing goes, you know, generally we have some idea of uh, what we paid for something. And uh, when I'm selling something to a friend, I'm not totally, I'm not really trying to make a profit. And uh, most of the time, I'm not even really concerned about market value. It's just like, what's a number that would make me feel good in exchange for this thing? And that might also, I might also feel like I'm giving a deal to my friend. Sure. I mean, sometimes I just say, hey, buy me dinner or something, buy me a drink, you know, buy me an ice cream cone. Yeah, those are the best kind of deals. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to get every penny out of a deal and sometimes, you know, something might even be a gift to somebody that I know will appreciate it. That's exactly another thing right. to consider. Or, you know, if you if if you don't want something anymore, but you know, your friend wants something, but maybe they have something that you want, you could do a trade too, you know? Sure. So um another way to get rid of extra gear if you're an active reenactor and you're going to events is to take that gear to an event it is very common um before the battle after the battle or uh after hours during a public display or whatever somebody will uh lay out a blanket or a shelter quarter and lay out some items with price tags and you can often uh if you price the stuff right and it's and it's inexpensive and it's an attractive price you can often sell everything to uh, people at the event. Yeah, well said. I've seen it done. I've seen it done very successfully, Chris. There are always people getting into this hobby. There are always new guys that need gear. If you know a new guy, you can offer it to him directly. If you don't know a new guy, there's probably going to be some new guys at the next event that you go to. And, um, you know, there are buyers for every quality and kind of reenactment stuff in this hobby, whether it's the most high-end bespoke items made with original materials or the junkiest copy that was ever made um, at the right price, somebody will will take that and do whatever they're going to do with it. Yeah, I have found that for the right price, anything sells. The problem is, you know, if, if it's not the right price, it's not going to sell. But, you know, like sometimes you, you can get rid of anything if you, if you put the right number on it, even if that number is like close to zero. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, into, we'll, we'll get into that in some detail about yeah. kind of how to put prices on things. Yeah. Um, but that kind of brings us to what I think is probably how most reenactment gear is uh, bought and sold online, used gear anyway. Uh, well, it's it's online, basically. I think most used reenactment gear that gets bought and sold is probably bought and sold uh, on the internet, on places where reenactors uh, chit-chat, could be in the reenactors' corner Discord, or probably most of the time, I think it's on Facebook, in reenactor uh, discussion and sales groups on Facebook. Yeah, I do most of my, I actually not even most, all of my transactions on 
various, you know, Facebook groups, Facebook forums that are kind of set up by reenactors, for reenactors, for the sort of purchase and sale of various kinds of secondhand goods. And, you know, I've certainly found this to be an effective way of buying and selling stuff, and many of the people have too. All right, so uh, when I am going to sell stuff online, um, I will... Uh, oftentimes the first thing that I will do is I will think, um, you know, is this just one unique item that's kind of different from anything else that I might have that's extra? If so, I will offer that one item as a standalone item. But if I can get a few items together that are kind of related, I will make a sales post and I will offer items in a batch at the same time. Um, I find that to be a good strategy. Now, when I say offer items in a batch, I mean, I'll make a sales post that lists each individual item and a price for each individual item. I think that trying to sell lots of items um, as a bundle, you've got to price that very, very low to find a buyer. The chances that anyone is going to want all of the stuff at once is is. I think pretty low. Um, most people are just going to want one or two items out of any specific batch that you're offering for sale. So I will always price each item individually in such a case. Yeah, I've seen some people try to sell whole lots of kits. And while I haven't actually ever had any success doing this myself, I don't really think the chances of... Because some people will... I'll see somebody list, okay, like I'm selling my whole kit $1,000 for everything. And even if the value of that kit might exceed $1,000, you know, even by a lot, um, the odds of a reenactor who wants to to swoop down and take your entire kit for $1,000 is actually quite low. It's almost zero. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be somebody who had the same shoe size, the same trouser size, the same hat size, and wanted to do the exact same impression and was starting off with nothing. And yeah. T- finding that guy is, uh, you know, t- a needle in a haystack would be a much easier thing to locate. Agreed upon that. So, um, you know, having kind of roughed out the most basic strategy, I'm going to sell, for example, just this helmet, or I'm going to sell um, these jackets, or I'm going to sell these uh you know, ration accessories or uh, pieces of equipment or whatever it is that I'm going to sell. Now it comes time for me to put a price on there. Um, And that can be a kind of a complex thing. All of this stuff, you know, we could argue about whether or not this stuff really has a market value, right? Like there's no stock market. There is no list price. There is no published buy or sell price. But every item really does have unless it's like a real one-of-a-kind thing that only exists um, as an individual unique thing, anything that's like a basic item, whether it's a tunic, an overcoat, a cap, a helmet, a pair of boots, a canteen, any of these things, there is a value that we can assign these things that is what you know a person would expect to pay on the secondary market. And um, to find that right value might take a a little bit of work or a little bit of knowledge of the market, but it is certainly doable. Sure. One thing I would caution people is, okay, um, if, say, a notable vendor, like, at the front is selling this item and they still have it in stock, and you have that item, even if that item is new, even if you bought that item brand new um, and you you just you st- you kept it in its plastic, you're not going to be able to get the value that Roland is selling on his website, generally speaking. 
um, you're going to have to basically, it's like a car almost, you know, you drive it off the lot, it loses value. Uh, you're going to have to subtract at least probably, you know, fifteen, twenty dollars from the. Say there's a pair of pants and Roland's selling them for a hundred dollars, eighty dollars. Yeah, I'd say like yeah, seventy, for, eighty for a new item. If yeah. it's still available from the vendor, you're looking at eighty percent of that value or less. Now that said, though, if it's an older run and it's considered better, you know, like some runs have a sort of mythos in reenacting, where like I don't know, maybe they were made in the U.S. Uh, and then they and then they stopped making them in the U.S. and started making them overseas, you know, or like maybe the wool is just considered better, you know, or like you know at the front. Their older run, you know, rucksacks and, you know, tropical items are, you know, considered to be higher quality. And you can kind of prove or uh, show in photos that it's it's better than a new one. Then you might be able to get, you know, more money than a new one from at the front. Well, if stuff really is old. Yeah. There is a, a kind of a, um, you know, let's just come right out and say it. There is kind of like a sort of a consumerist, materialist... Uh, collecting sort of aspect to reenactment and gear that is old gear that is 20 years old unless it's really inferior in in some very tangible way to what is being made today the fact that that gear is 10 15 20 years old does add an element of appeal to it i think sure sure there's some definitely like legacy brands you know that were famous back in the day you know at the front in-house made stuff or so-called text-led garments uh lost battalion which was a company out of texas that was operating in the 2000s Aunt Z, otherwise known as Pearson Products, which was operating out of the 2000s. Um, New Columbia, which is another sort of old vendor. Uh, all these, these, this stuff is collectible in its own right, basically, I would say. Sure. And so um, something like that, you might not be able to get, like a Lost Battalion's tunic when it was new was very expensive. It might have been a, a $350 item. Set. I thought it was 375 sure. back in the day. It might have been three, in, might, you know, might have been $400 depending on uh, variables. Right? Sure. You're unlikely to be able to sell this item for $400. But, um, you know, if a new tunic from uh, a vendor could be maybe 150 to $200, you might be able to get something above that for a, a very good condition tunic from a desirable supplier that's no longer in business. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, like, uh, I will look at the prices of stuff on eBay. I will look at the prices of stuff on dealer websites. What are these things selling for now? I know sometimes I could be surprised. You know, sometimes I might think, okay, um, this uh, gas mask, say, or um, even some reproduction item, you know, I don't know, a certain type of belt buckle, for example, maybe. Um, in my mind, this might be a 25 or a $50 item, but if I can't find anyone selling one of those for less than $100, you know, I realize, okay, this is, is not a $50 item anymore. The price has changed. Yeah. Um, similarly, you know, Ben, I know you and I both have, have had this experience where you get something and you think, okay, this is a, this is a $100 item, but then I look online and I see that you can buy these things brand new on eBay for 50 bucks. 
Yeah, I've had that, you know, several times. I've, you know, even miscalculated several times where I think something is going to be much more desirable. And then it turns out maybe somebody just started selling them and, and it's for a number that's like cheaper than what you thought, you know? It can be embarrassing sometimes. Yeah. I've, I've seen it where people maybe not realizing that they're doing it are asking more for things that are used than you can get that thing for from the vendor brand new. And, and I so like got to try to avoid doing that. Exactly. And I like to think of myself as somebody who's relatively in touch with the market, but I find myself, you know, humbled every now and again by such an experience. Well, with regard to pricing and when when we're talking specifically about selling stuff on Facebook or on some other online reenactor chit-chat platform, um, you got to realize that a lot of these things in most cases, they're readily available things, a reproduction bread bag or a canteen or reproduction boots or an M43 cap. Someone who really wants an M43 cap on a particular day can just go to a dealer website and buy one. When you're selling stuff on Facebook, you're looking for a different kind of person for most items. You're looking for a guy who woke up that morning with no idea he was going to be buying an M43 cap that day. And you want somebody to be scrolling through Facebook and they see your sale ad. They like the item. They like the pictures. They like the description. Most importantly, they like the price. It looks like a deal to them. And so um, they weren't planning on it, but they're buying some reenactment gear today and they're buying it from you. And because of that, the prices do have to be you know, unless you've got some super desirable item that it maybe is difficult to obtain. For most items, the price has to be appealing to a potential buyer. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree on that. I, I think, you know, it is reenacting is a sort of luxury hobby, as, you know, Chris and I have talked about. You know, it's uh, people are doing it for a job. They're, you know, it's, it's something they're spending their fun money on. And so. That is the sort of market that you're catering to when you're selling secondhand stuff on Facebook. And th there's an aspect of Facebook, too, this algorithmic thing where the day that you post it, a lot of people are going to see it. The next day, probably not that many people are going to see it. And after four or five days, it's, all, it's unlikely that really anybody is going to see your sales ad. So you're trying to sell this thing quick most of the time. You can always list it again later if it doesn't sell. But when you're pricing it, you should really be pricing it with a quick sale in mind, a price that you think is going to be appealing enough that somebody pretty quickly is going to think, okay, I'm grabbing that thing. Yeah, no, I agree on that. And I, you know... I like to try to get rid of most of most items that I've, uh, you know, I list within like, I don't know, three days, basically, you know, that's I consider that to be successful. If I sell everything that I list in three days, OK, the prices were right. I did good on that, you know, but that's not always the case. Um, yeah, some things are just more difficult to sell, you know, like it, it, yeah, it's it's a complicated topic. All right. So, um you, you said it. Some things are more difficult to sell. Uh, what sells fast, Ben? I would say, I mean, like I mentioned, the, the stuff you can't get anymore, you know? Like, there's some uniform makers that, you know, they... They made tunics that are considered desirable, you know, or they have uh, features that are considered desirable, or they might use original components, you know, original buttons. And I feel like... If you describe it right and you take, you know, good quality pictures and, 
you know, there's there are people who know what these things are, and if it's in their size, it'll go quickly. That said, you know, you could have a like a like a garment made by one of these, you know, legacy companies that's like custom made for somebody who is who is eight feet tall, and good luck selling that, you know, <laughs> like so. Yeah, it's, there are there are people who buy this stuff and don't actually intend to wear it. As as Ben alluded to earlier, some of this stuff is collectible. There are people who do all kinds of stuff with reenactment gear. They they chop it up and make it into something else. They display it on mannequins. They just keep it in a closet. Uh, you know, God only knows what kind of weird stuff people get up to with this stuff. So just because something is in a totally oddball size doesn't mean it's completely unsellable. But uh, the chances of selling it are, are smaller. And uh, you probably have to price it knowing that there's probably not going to be a lot of competition for this item in an oddball size. Yeah. I would also say, you know, this is a... Common stuff sells quickly, you know, like it's uh, common sizes sell quickly. I would say that sort of the most sort of sellable sizes are like in the, for a tunic are like in the 42 to 46 chest range. I feel like that's pretty average for Americans, you know, size 40 or below it's more difficult. And also too, like size 48 and above you know, it becomes more difficult. Um, also, too, like items which are, I would say, the average sleeve length is like, I don't know, 24, 25 inches. Uh, if you have really short or really long sleeves, you might have more of a problem selling it. Um, also, too, like, I mean, I would say that some stuff is kind of more niche, if you will. Like, I feel like, I don't know, Ultra Late War, M44, you know, tunic or piece of field gear, that's for a niche scenario. It might be a little bit less sellable than, say, an M40 tunic or an M42 tunic, at least for German stuff. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of what I mean by sort of common. Yeah, I think items that are used like by almost every reenactor, like a regular canteen, bread bag, mess kit, these are things that every reenactor has to have. A lot of reenactors would like to have a spare of one of these as well. Um, and so these things I find, for me, uh, are very, very easy to sell, whereas something that might be uh, a pre-war item or some event-specific thing, I probably have to price that a, a little bit lower to get it to move. Yeah. Yeah, like I would say that sometimes you can have luck with a unique item because somebody is building a side impression, but you can't be guaranteed that you're going to find that person who's building like an ultra late war kit or a pre-war kit, you know, or some sort of like specific foreign volunteer impression, you know, like that's that, that can be a little hairy sometimes. Um, so, you know, once you've once you've kind of determined uh what the price is for an item. Um, now it's time to market the thing. And, you know, Ben, I know you and I have talked about this at great length. Um, the, there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. Anybody can do it, but I think a lot of people maybe don't really realize how or they just don't want to put the time in. So you'll see that somebody has uh, posted two pictures of an item uh, it looks like the photographs were taken with a potato or they were taken at night during a robbery. And um, 
no size is listed and uh you know it doesn't say who made it and i absolutely hate when i see those kind of ads especially like there's a group on facebook that i am an admin on that is a for discussing reenactment kit and when someone posts something like that it just immediately begins to dominate the group because the comment section fills up with people asking what size it is, asking who made it, asking questions that really should have been answered in the sales ad at the time that it was posted. Yeah, I would say the devil is in the details and try to be as detailed as possible. You know, Chris and I have talked about this before, but um, ideally take your pictures outside on an overcast day. A lot of times I use a backdrop. I mean, I will, I've used various things like wool blankets, like a post-war Soviet uh, plush, palatka, shelter half. Um, but, you know, you can also just take it on, on, on pavement or grass or whatever. Um, but, yeah, just... Uh, if you mentioned outside on an overcast day, yeah, that to me is worth repeating. Natural light shows the colors better. Um, you know, every every camera, every phone is going to take a different picture. Every monitor is going to display it differently. But just like natural light without harsh shadows is the best for me for really allowing someone to see the details of something, the color, the texture the specifics of the insignia or the paint or whatever whatever it is with the item. Yeah, I often try to do close-ups of, say, the thing has original buttons. I'll specify that in the listing, and then I might take a close-up of the button in a way that shows that it is an original uh, for somebody who has got a discerning eye. Um, now, granted, don't get me wrong, I don't wait for an overcast day every day that I want to sell something. Sometimes, you know, we, we got bright sun and it's just like, oh, well, just make sure your shadow is not in the picture. The other thing, too, is I see this so many times. Um, try to get your feet out of the picture. Like, I, I, I see, you know, somebody taking a picture and either their shadow is in it or you can see them and you can see, like, what sort of color socks they're wearing, you know? So, yeah, uh, just try to try to avoid that if you can. The bare toes. Yeah. That's really the worst. Yeah. Um, I'd say try to get your hand out of it. Try to get you out of the picture in general. Like, I don't think that um, having a picture of you wearing it, unless you're like a super hot dude, is going to help you sell your item. It's best just to show the item without your nasty fungus toenails or your big meaty ham hands. <laughs> yes, I agree on that. And oh, I was going to say... Um, I also, too, when selling garments, I always try to take basic measurements. Even if the size is listed, I don't always trust the size which is on the garment. It could have shrunk, um, especially when selling, you know, Russian or ex-Soviet items. I don't really trust Russian sizing, you know? Or even if, like, you know, some makers, you know, one company's large might be another company's XL. So just always take a basic sort of chest sleeve and length measurement if you can. I just think that's really essential. That is, uh, I think, crucial because um, you're not going to be um, throwing this thing into the sea. There is a buyer on the other end of this thing, and if he is not satisfied with what you're getting, he might want to return it to you. He might want to um, you know, put a supernatural curse on you or badmouth you on the internet. These are things that you want to avoid. Yeah, the way I see it, it's a way of minimizing liability 
and sort of eliminating the chances of an unhappy purchaser, you know, who feels that you have shortchanged or deceived him in some way, uh, shape, or form. So good pictures, state the size. Um, also, if you're going to have to address who made this thing. We live in a, uh, you know, like a late stage capitalism world with a lot of brand hype that extends into our little hobby world. People are going to be asking you who made the thing. Um, in some cases, the maker is going to add a two times or a four times or 10 times multiplier versus another maker of a like item, even if the quality is the same, just based on a brand hype type of a thing. If you don't know who made it, uh, you've got two options. You can either post the thing and as a discussion saying, hey, I'm thinking of selling this thing. I can't remember where I got it or I got it from a friend and I don't know what company it is, who made this. Or you can you can post it and say, I don't know who made this and, and put a price on it. Um, but if you don't list the maker or say you don't know who made it, you're just going to be faced. You're just, at, you know, unless you like to get a lot of private messages from dudes, just say, you know, you got to address it in the description, basically. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I've handled a lot of garments, and I feel like I generally am pretty good about, you know, being able to discern the maker. But if I don't know, I will say maker unknown. Sure. Or sometimes I'll say maker, like unsure of maker, but like or likely or possibly, you know, and then insert X, X company. Uh, you know, I'll say things like um, this is... Uh, old USA production or, um, you know, this is an early Chinese copy or whatever it is, you know, some, something that, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to take a guess and, uh, and offer some kind of insight into where I think this thing came from. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, like Swedish wool, you know, likely made in the 1990s, you know, but like nice quality. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, if you're, yeah, especially if you're handling stuff that was, you know, from a reenactor who got out of the hobby number of years back, um, or got into the hobby a number of years back, you know, you get all sorts of like weird cottage in cottage industry stuff that just isn't made anymore, you know, you've never heard of, you know, was made by somebody's grandmother who was a tailor, you know, all this stuff. Um you know, one one thing that I will say specifically with regard to like who made it is uh, like with SS camouflage, this becomes a very critical point Oh yeah, um, where, you know, if you have a certain item of SS camouflage, you know, you might be able to sell this for um, three times as much as you paid for it. Whereas if you offer certain other types of SS camouflage, uh, you may find uh, people with pitchforks and torches outside your house. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to have truth. some sense of what this thing is or where it came from. Yeah. That's the price truth. it accordingly, you know, quite true. Um, and then, you know, just having a description, I think, is so helpful and important because you really want the person who's buying this thing from pictures online to have a good sense of what this thing is so that there's no surprise when they open the box. And so if it's got um, wear and tear, state that it has wear and tear. If it's got a little hole, a little repair, you know, state that. Um just try to try to use some words to paint a picture. Um, if there are certain things that just don't really 
jump out in a photograph. You know yeah. what I mean? How the insignia is applied. And, and in fact, there's an aspect of salesmanship here that will help you to find a buyer. If you, dis- you, c- if you describe the thing accurately, um, that's, that's critical. And it's also good to describe the thing in a way that makes it sound appealing. You know, you can say this is no longer available. This is a rare maker. This is a very high quality reproduction. As long as those things are true. Of course, you know, you don't want to state that something is a very high quality reproduction when it's like, you know, Halloween costume quality. Um, But look, even if it's Halloween costume quality, you can actually say um, selling this thing. It's Halloween costume quality. This might be good for uh, loner gear or for your uh, decorating your battlefield or whatever. And somebody who, who might be looking for really cheap loner gear or looking for shit to leave outside his barn. Um, he'll see that and he'll he'll read that description. He'll be like, oh, this is what, kind of what I'm looking for. Okay, I'm going to buy this thing. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes I'll say like project item, you know, or like this is an item which is like it's flawed in these ways, you know, and like maybe a few suggestions on its possible use, you know, like material is good, but, you know, the cut is bad, you know, like project item if something you know the on the other hand if something is gorgeous i'll write in there be like you know offering this gorgeous reproduction this high quality uh helmet that is you know an original shell with all the best paint and decals all the best internal stuff you know just uh rather than just showing a picture of a helmet saying helmet for sale 400 bucks it's like you know, this helmet is in a desirable size. This helmet has a high quality liner and chin strap, you know, uh, best quality decals from this, you know, hype dog supplier or whatever. And that will sell so much better than just calling it a helmet. The other thing, too, is, you know, sometimes you get or at least I see this where I'm trying to sell items which were somebody's pet project that they put together you know, at great effort and expense, but it's for some extremely niche ex- uh, impression, you know, some sort of like, you know, minor access or minor allied power. Um, and like maybe they found like the one person in the world who could make them like a Lithuanian postal worker, you know, railway worker uh, uniform, you know, and it was their pride and joy. But then, you know, it's like, okay, how do I sell this thing? And that's hard because you got to find somebody else who's got a similar sort of like, okay, I want to be a Lithuanian partisan or, you know, railway worker or whatever, you know? So I feel like that's its own sort of like challenge in marketing, basically, you know? Right. And uh, if you've got that Lithuanian... Uh, you know, if you were the guy who dreamed of being the Lithuanian railway worker um, and you've got the outfit for it, you're going to have to find some appropriate place to sell it. Don't yeah. just like uh, throw it up in some World War II German discussion group where it doesn't fit or make any sense. There are generic reenactor marketplaces uh, and that would be a good place to sell it. Um you know, something that is at least adjacent to what the kit is, is a, is a good thing. Uh, Ben and I have, have different approaches to selling stuff in the groups. Um, you know, Ben will post one item across multiple groups. I usually try to figure out what I think is the ideal group to market this thing in. And then if it doesn't sell in that group, I'll post it to a different group later. Um, you know, I'm not sure which is necessarily the best way of going about it, but you know, I'm sure that both of those ways uh, work eventually. Yep. No, I agree on that. Chris, different strokes for different folks. Um, okay. So 
you've you've got your item, you've taken your beautiful photos, you have described it, you have you have done the research, you've priced it, um, and you have identified the group or groups where you want to post this thing for sale. Now it's time to deal with the prospective buyers, and sometimes that can be a really pleasant experience, and then other times it can be very challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's uh, it's funny because like for every, you know, some things, you know, sometimes you know you get somebody who is like, hey, I want this item, you know, I'll, what is your PayPal? I will pay immediately. And then other times you don't get that. Yeah, you get a, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, <laughs> or um, you know, I need to ask my dad. Or, um, you know, could I trade you um, a trailer load of tube socks? Or, you know, it, it could be almost anything. Insane lowball offer. Insane lowball offers, yeah. Like, or it's like, uh, yeah. you know, you, are, you listed an SS tunic for sale for $200. Is it original? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to cast too much shade on the Facebook reenactor community. There are a lot of great people on there. I have sold a lot of stuff on there. I've bought a lot of stuff on there. I can say in all the years selling at this point, probably, I don't know, it's it's hundreds, if not thousands of items have sold on Facebook. Um, I never really had a bad deal. I don't think. Um, but uh, I would be lying if I said that I never had an annoying interaction with someone who asked me about something that I was selling. Well, I'll say this. I understand very strongly the desire to buy something. You know, I understand seeing something, identifying it's nice, like, you know, I, that the sort of reenactor autism activated, you know, like, oh my God, it's got original buttons, or oh my God, it's got an original liner in that thing, you know, like, I want this, but I don't quite have the money. What do I do? Like, can I, like, ask him to hold it? And it's kind of given me pause where it's just like, Okay, having been on the receiving end of, okay, can I, you know, like, generally speaking, I, if I want to buy something to the point where I'm going to, you know, commit to spend the money, I will make sure that I can purchase it from that person, basically. Well, so. you know, Ben, uh, obviously you're, uh, you know, wildly wealthy. Uh, I can understand that some people might need a little bit more time to pay. Sure. And I know sure. that you, you know, you and I have both done this, I know, have uh, taken payments on things, yeah. pay me when you get paid, I'll hold it for a week, I'll hold it for two weeks. Um, you know, uh, I will take, you know, maybe you will take a partial trade or a total trade or whatever. It is possible to make these kind of deals. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I don't want to. I don't want to totally state that you should always have money ready. I definitely have, you know, extended credit to some people. You know, and most of the time, people pay up. Most of the time, they do. Yeah. And sometimes then some they of the don't, times, but they yeah. do not pay. Yeah. Uh, and it and it can, you know, it, look. Uh, Selling stuff on Facebook or anywhere else where reenactors might be listing stuff for sale. I'm sure this is true with eBay and stuff as well. Um, you will be dealing with other people and, you know, you might make a friend. 
and you also might make an enemy. Well, one thing is you can't if you're selling something, you can't expect the money basically, you know, like even if you need money for a car payment, for textbooks, you know, for whatever commodity, you can't expect money, you know, you, like even if someone says, "Okay, I will buy it." Yeah. You cannot then now spend the money knowing that you are going to be getting that money in your PayPal any yeah. moment now. It may yeah. or may not come. Yeah, exactly right. So I think that's sort of the takeaway here, you know? Like, you can't be cavalier. Okay, yeah. Like, the like you could be cavalier once you've, like, sh- shipped that item to that person and they've received it and they're happy with it, you know? Let's, let's briefly address, um, can you bring it to the event? Because that, that, to me, that, to me, is a... Uh, I actually that that's like a an actual recurring nightmare that I have. I have I used to do this. I used to say I I I think I had an experience where a guy who I'd never met before who was in a totally different unit uh, asked me to bring something to him to the Gap, which was a huge legacy event that took place in Pennsylvania. Poor one out for the Gap, but um, I just remember I was. I was I think it was like a twenty dollar uh transaction. I remember I was stressing out for hours and I was like looking around for this person. I don't even know where he is, you know? And I think that's kind of an extreme example. But that said, generally speaking, these days, you know, if I get unless I know them, unless I'm in the same group with them, I'll tell them, Hey man, please just let me ship it to you because I cannot guarantee that I will not forget this uh, in my packing to the event or that I'll be able to find you or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's like, um, you know, I will do this in certain situations, but in general, I always much, much, much prefer to ship the thing because like you alluded to, there's always a chance you're going to forget the thing. I've done that before. I forget something at every reenactment that I go to, I did Odessa a couple of weeks ago or last week. Uh, I forgot to bring a ladle for cooking with. You know, it's like there's always something. And that something that I forget might be the thing that you were kind of counting on me to bring for you. Um, and then, yeah, there's the aspect where it's like, you know, when I'm at the event, I'm in the zone. I'm doing stuff with my guys. I'm out on patrol. I'm like, you know, at the bottom of the sea, whatever the heck it is I'm doing at this event. And then y- you and I have to like, link up somehow and do like a business transaction i've got to hand off this object it just adds a little wrinkle that can be stressful or challenging depending on the event so yeah yeah like say out of this is a hypothetical scenario but like say somebody agrees to buy a us m43 jacket off of you um but you're at an eastern front event it's like okay do i take this American anachronistic jacket to my zone and have it there for this person to come by and it's kind of like a zone killer to everybody else or do I have to try to like find this person and like link up at my vehicle at some point uh it it just it makes my head spin you know the whole thing just makes my head spin (laughs) I can totally see can you deliver it at the event if the item that I am selling is like a 200-pound lead ingot? Yes. But if it's a uh, a breast eagle or something, I am going to basically insist that that thing goes in the mail. Yeah. No, I totally agree on that. All right. So uh, you've made the deal. The buyer actually sent the money. Now you've got to ship the thing. Um, I am just going to come right out and plug this online website that I use for shipping called Pirate Ship. Um, It is a service where you um, 
you create an account, you hook it up to your debit card or whatever, and then you put in the address, you have to weigh the item and measure it when it's packed up, so you need a scale, and then you print out a shipping label, um, so you need a printer for that. So you need a scale, a printer, and a computer to use this, um, but if you have those things, it's cheaper than going to the post office, and it's a lot easier and more convenient than having to stand in line, give them a parcel, and wait for them to input all the address information while you wait there at the counter. Yeah, it's such a time saver. You know, for the longest time, I, you know, I was, you know, I didn't want, I didn't actually own a printer. I didn't want to pony up and buy one or a scale. You know, I'm just like, oh, that sounds hard. I started using it back in January. And it's it's revolutionized my ability to perform commerce uh, successfully. I think it's really great. And also, too, they do give you kind of a little discount on some of the items, you know, or so, sorry, some of the shipping amounts. So, yeah, I, 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 I will also rep uh, this pirate ship uh, service. A kind of a, a final note on the whole shipping process on this. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have pirate ship, you got to take the thing to the post office. You're going to stand in line. You're going to spend some time probably unless you, you do online click and ship. Like basically if you don't have a printer and a scale, you're going to have to take this thing to the post office or the UPS store or whatever it is. And, uh, and you're going to have to spend some time. This, this process does, uh, take some time. You know, there's really no way, no way around it. Yeah, and I mean, I generally actually don't mind going to the post office. I like sending and receiving mail as like a hobby. I like to write postcards. Um, but, you know, I have friends who like have some anxiety or like a mental block about going to the post office, you know, which I could actually understand and sympathize with to a degree. Um, and then if you sell enough stuff through PayPal... Depending on where you live, this applies to you if you live in the United States. Um, if you have over a certain number of transactions, a certain number of dollars, I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I'm not giving financial advice here, but you basically get a form uh, from PayPal and your income is reported to the IRS. And then you have to deal with that when it comes time to do your taxes. Yep. So essentially my, um, my insight into smoking and reenacting is the fact that I'm probably the quintessential I took up smoking uh, because of reenacting. So the Hungarian helmet is a Stahlhelm. It's, it's basically the German M35, but it's painted green. It has a bracket on the back and the rivets are different. So they think, they look at us, they're like, you don't look like Germans, but you have German helmet. Like we can fake close combat and shooting at each other, but like the, the pure horror, of, it's never comprehensible unless you've lived it. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. So, um, obviously, this is some work, and it can be onerous. You have to do the research. You have to um, take the pictures. You have to list the thing for sale. You have to deal with the buyers. You have to ship the thing, and you may even have to deal with some kind of tax paperwork at the end of the year. Um, I think I understand why a lot of people don't want to do this. And that's why I think what Ben does, where Ben will um, liquidate your unwanted gear for you, is a really valuable service that is like really useful in this hobby space that we occupy. Uh, ben, why don't you tell us um, kind of sort of in general terms uh, what, it, what this service is that you're offering for people? So basically, I offer a liquidation service for secondhand reenactment gear where... 
uh, people contact me, uh, they say I have this stuff, you know, generally I won't actually, I want to basically have the stuff in hand um, before I assign values to it because it could have issues which, you know, maybe can't be conveyed in photographs, but, you know, if I can't meet up with the person uh, in person, I ask them to ship the stuff to me, I will appraise everything, I will assign values to it, and then I will agree to give, you know, the peop- the, the, the clients uh, a percentage of that in a lump sum of money, cash up front. And if they disagree with the values that I've assigned to these wares, uh, and we can't come to an agreement, then I'll send it back to you at my expense. Um, after that, you know, provided they're happy, I've paid them for their lot of stuff, they get their lump sum of cash, then the stuff becomes my property, my problem, and I gotta make my money back. Uh, and so, I, I go from there, I'll list it on Facebook, and... Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the the long and the short of it. I think that's great because uh, you know I've heard horror stories where people will just throw their gear away rather than deal with the hassle of listing the items one at a time, dealing with unknown numbers of buyers, um, you know, having to go to the post office. Because look, you got to ship this stuff promptly. Once once the money is in your account, that person basically expects you to ship that thing immediately. So um, you know, it is work and. Um, I, I don't mind doing this, generally speaking, but even I sometimes uh, find it easier to just sell stuff to Ben for him to then sell on Facebook, uh, even though I get a little bit less money than if I sold it myself. Um, sometimes I just don't want to deal with the hassle, you know? I mean, generally speaking, I do like doing it, you know? I mean, sometimes it is a little frustrating, but overall, I find the experience to be quite rewarding. And uh, especially in the absence of events, it's a nice way to keep touch with people and uh, keep keep sort of keep a finger on the pulse of the community. So, yeah, no, I, I really... I mean, it's a, it's an honor to be able to sort of talk about this here on the show. But, yeah, no, I genuinely like doing it a lot. So if, uh, if anybody out there is listening to this and is thinking, man, I have tons and tons of reenactment gear that I want to get rid of and I just want it gone and I would be happy to take a reasonable amount of money as a wholesale price for someone else who's going to uh, sell it, they can contact Ben Tracy on Facebook or you can email the reenactors corner at gmail.com or uh, get in touch with me. I'll put you in touch with Ben or however you want to go about doing that. At your service. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all the time we've got for today. I hope you guys like this episode. I'd like to say thank you to everybody who supports us via Patreon. Without you guys, we wouldn't be able to keep doing this podcast. Um, so to Ben and everybody out there, stay safe, and I'll see you in the field. I'll see you in the field. And thank you again to our wonderful Patreon community. We love hearing what you think about the podcast, so why not reach out to us on Facebook or Discord? Just search for The Reenactors Corner and you'll find us there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air, and you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time here on The Reenactors Corner. Corner.